Welcome to day number 11 of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. This is, of course, the podcast where we are reading through the one-year Bible together. My name is Blake Farley, and I will be sharing my thoughts as we read through our Old and New Testament reading, as well as the Proverb and the Psalm. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 52, and we'll read through chapter 26, verse 16. Verse 52 in Genesis says, When Abraham's servant heard their answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshipped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master. But we want Rebekah to stay with us at least ten days, her brother and mother said. Then she can go. But he said, Don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, We'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. So they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with this man? They asked her. And she replied, Yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca. And they sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her. They gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. And um, what a interesting way to send somebody off. Uh, way to dream big, right? Rebecca's family saying, may you become the mother of many millions. But it, it wasn't uh, too much of a pipe dream for them to say this. This was an amazing opportunity for Rebecca, in a sense. Because here's this man who was told that he was needing a woman to be a part of God's promise, that Abraham's descendants would be greater than the stars in the sky, greater than the the sand on the seas. And here was this lady who was going to be a part of that amazing legacy. And so as they send her away, her family says, may you become the mother of millions. Amazing. And by the way, she would. Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Meanwhile, Isaac, whose home was in the Negev, had returned from Beer Lashior one evening. As he was walking and meditating in the fields, he looked up and saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted her camel. Who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, It is my master. So Rebekah covered her face with her veil. Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. So they just went straight for it. I mean, they didn't, they didn't waste any time. They saw each other, got married, and all of a sudden Isaac loves her deeply. Kind of interesting. <laughs> Chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham married another wife, whose name was Qatar. Not near as pretty of a name as Sarah. Uh, if your name is Qatar, I apologize. Verse 2. She gave birth to Zimrim, Joskin, Midian, Midian, Iskabah, and Shuah. Joskikans was the father of Sheba and Dedan. Dedan descendants were the Asherites, the Lasherites, and the Luminites. Midian's sons were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abedah, and Eldadah. These were all the descendants of Abraham through Qatar. This might be a good time for me to also mention and remind you that this podcast is not edited, so I'm not reading this before I read it to you. 
uh, which is why if you're like, man, he butchered every single one of those names, it's because I literally am trying to read them as I'm reading them to you. I only edit it out when I mess up royally, and I mean royally. Uh, and if you're thinking, well, that sounded like kind of royal mess ups to me. Yeah, you should hear the things I do have to edit out of this podcast. Verse 5, Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them off to a land in the east, away from Isaac. Abraham lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life, which is um, something we could all only hope for, right? Picking it back up. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Mechelon, near Mamar, in the field of Ephron, son of Zor the Hittite. This was the field Abraham had purchased from the Hittites, where he had buried his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who settled near Beshilaroi in the Negev. This is the account of the family of Ishmael, the son of Abraham through Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian servant. Here is a list by their names and clans of Ishmael's descendants. The oldest was Nepeboth, followed by Kidar, Abidel, Mibsam, Misha, Duam, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jitter, Napish, and Kittimah. These twelve sons of Ishmael became the founders of the twelve tribes named after them, listed according to the places they settled and camped. Ishmael lived for 137 years, and then he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death, which is a, um, a reminder there, verse 17, joined his ancestors in death, that no matter how powerful these people are, still, since the curse in Genesis chapter 3, every lineage, as it describes how long people have lived, ends with they died. This is the new normal for humanity. Death is in the world because of sin, and it is um, through this line that God is promising to fix that death problem. Verse 18, Ishmael's descendants occupied the region from Haviar to Shur, which is east of Egypt in the direction of Asher, where they lived in open hostility toward all of their relatives. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham, when Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel Arminium, from Pada Aramim, and the sister of Laban of Arminium. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. So right there, we'll pause for a second. You see, uh, in Rebecca's womb, there is fighting going on. Um, most of us have siblings who we fought with, but generally it happens outside of the womb. Rebecca's feeling this immense fight inside of her, and she goes to God, and she's saying, you know, what's going on? And God says, well, they're going to be two separate nations, and the nations will always be fighting against one another which is not probably what Mama Rebecca wanted to hear. And then it says this at the end. It says, your older son will serve your younger son, which was amazing because that's not how it was supposed to be. The older son was not supposed to serve the younger son. It's supposed to be different than that. So this would have been very interesting for Rebecca to hear. Verse 24. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she indeed did have twins. The first one was very red at birth, covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. 
Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is a birthright to me right now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Now, if I can, this story is absolutely ridiculous, right? I mean, let's just say it what it is. Uh, Esau gives away his birthright for a bowl of stew. I mean, what in the world is going on there? He, he says, I'm starving. Uh, I don't think he really was. Probably one of those deals where, you know, kids... Uh, and, and even adults, you know, even yesterday, I think I said at one point, man, I'm starving. I was very hungry. And so because he was hungry, he said, I will have one bowl of stew and you can have my birthright. It doesn't make any sense. But I think amidst a whole bunch of other things that might be going on in this text as I read it, it kind of seems to me like maybe Esau thought, what is my little girly feminine brother going to do to me? Like, yeah, sure, I'll tell you, you can have my birthright, but at the end of the day, I'm just going to overpower you. And he knew, Esau knew, that his dad actually preferred him. We, we just read that. Esau was his dad's favorite. So, uh, And his dad ultimately was the one who would be able to have the right to give away the birthright. So by saying to Jacob, you can have my birthright, I think Esau knew this isn't really, I mean, I'm going to tell you that, but that's not actually how it's going to go. Verse 33, but Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Chapter 26, verse 1, a severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Amalek, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerur. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, she is my sister. Afraid to say, she is my wife, he thought. They will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. Let's pause here. Does this sound familiar? If you've been tracking along with us, Isaac is following directly in the line of his father. What did Abraham say multiple times in the story we read? Instead of calling his wife his wife... Out of fear, out of being a coward, he called his wife a sister. And now we see Isaac doing the exact same thing his father did. This is, it, it would be comical if it wasn't sad. Anyways, continuing on. He thought, they will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Amalbeck, king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Amalbeck called for Isaac and explained, she is obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? 
because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us, Enelvik explained. One of my people might have easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of a great sin. Then Amalbek issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. And as I read that, I think in my own life, and I think um, how blessed of a man that I am. It says he planted, and he harvested a hundred times more. And that is so true. I've planted, and then I've seen what God's done in my life, and it's a hundred times more than what I deserve. And namely, in his son Jesus Christ, I have so much more than I deserve. Like, if that's all I got, if all I got was the gospel and the grace of Jesus, that I have been saved from the penalty of my sins, that I've been given power over my present sins, and that I will one day be freed from the entire presence of sin when Jesus comes and culminates his kingdom, if that's all I had, then I would have harvested over 100 times more than I had planted. Verse 13, he became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. Finally, Amalbek ordered Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too powerful for us. Moving on to our New Testament reading of the day, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18, reading through verse 34. In my Bible, in the NLT New Living Translation, the subtitle of the section of Scripture is called The Cost of Following Jesus. Verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went down and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us! We're going to drown! Jesus responded, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Let me pause here and add a little interjection. Uh, What we just saw there is truly amazing. Um, So the disciples are freaking out because there's huge waves, and they feel like the boat's about to break in half or sink and... And it's really, it's really not looking good for them. And they go down and they find Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And then Jesus says, why are you afraid? To which, you know, they'd probably say, well, obviously we are afraid because of what's going on out here. Like, while you've been sleeping, we've been trying not to die. Uh, and then Jesus says, you have so little faith. And then he does something amazing. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and suddenly there's a great calm. Now, that's amazing even to us. But to a Jewish man, that would have been uh, really a claim of divinity, as we read in the Psalms, uh, it says that only God is able to calm the winds and the waves. And what did Jesus just do? Calm the winds and the waves. They were amazed. That's why they said, who is this man? And it's why Jesus says you have so little faith. Not faith uh, that everything's going to be okay. 
uh, because we know in life things aren't always okay. But faith in Jesus. See, we know life's not going to be okay, but we know that we have the one who has the power to make things okay with us. And as long as we have Jesus, we have everything we need. See, because we're not going to drown. And sometimes we go through circumstances and trials and pains, um, but we would even say that Jesus is turning those, even when we can't feel it, and sometimes we don't know what it means until we get to the other side of eternity. And this is not something you should tell somebody else when they're going through a struggle, but it's for you when you're going through a struggle. We believe that even in the worst circumstances, God is working it out for our good. Yeah, this is amazing. Have faith. Maybe you're in a storm right now as you're listening to this. Look to Jesus. doesn't matter the circumstances you're in. What matters is who's with you in those circumstances. And Jesus is with you. If you are one of his children, he is with you, and he's not afraid. So you don't have to be afraid either. Verse 28. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Garadians, two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, If you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Moving on to our Proverbs reading of the day, we will be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. The psalm we will pray through today is Psalm chapter 10. O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Lord, it can feel um, like we are all alone in our trouble. And yet I love that in our New Testament reading today, we see that uh, even when we're in trouble, we can take faith, we can take heart in the fact that you are with us. Lord, I know that's easy to say and really hard to experience when the waves are crashing in and it feels like you're about to drown, metaphorically and literally. And yet, God, I just pray that you would give us the gift of faith, that we would be able to look to you when everything's falling apart. And Lord, I want to say a special prayer for those who are listening to me right now that are going through some sort of heartache, maybe maritally or financially or some other way. And God, I ask that you would draw near to them as you promise you will. Draw near to the brokenhearted. Help them to experience your presence and your peace in a supernatural way today. Verse 2. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think, nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Lord, help us not to be these people. Lord, arrogant enough to think that you are not there. And Lord, if we're honest, we all live this way. At times we all live as though we are God, and in a practical sense we are atheists doing things the way we want to do them uh, with no regard to you or uh, no reverence to uh, what you uh, ask us to do. Lord, forgive us for this. 
And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came so that we might not be counted wicked and so that we might begin to walk with power towards becoming what it means to be godly. Lord, I pray for those who have yet to see you that still walk and live this way. Open their eyes so that they might see that you are not dead, that you are well and alive, and that the only response is worship and to make you the Lord of our lives, to follow you with all that we are. Verse 7, their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk and ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims, like lions crouched in hiding. They wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with the despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and the grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. Lord, we do pray that you would destroy your enemies. Lord, not our enemies, but your enemies. God, the pornography industry, the industries that prey on the elderly. God, the industries that lead us to greed and addiction. Lord, we pray that you would destroy them. We pray that you would break down those who live this way, who live searching after their own joy and uh, have trouble and evil on the tips of their tongues. Lord, show them the same Messiah that we have found. And Lord, help us to never begin to think that we are anything but helpless orphans ourselves. We need you or else we will live the same way. Yet when we put our trust in you, we are filled with your spirit and we see what is right and we see what is wrong. And Lord, pray that you would give us the courage to be people of justice, people who would pursue after that which is good and that which is godly with grace and truth, just as you modeled for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's reading. Uh, I know that I certainly did. We are reading the Bible together, which means I would love to hear your thoughts, comments, suggestions about today's reading. Uh, Again, I just want to reiterate that we are reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, so that if something didn't make sense or sounded funny, you could go back and read it for yourself. I would encourage you, as I always do, to read the psalm in a posture of prayer if you have time to do nothing else today. Now, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by supporting our church at myascent.churchcenter.com and give whatever the Lord would lead you to give so that we can continue to produce these podcasts. Until tomorrow, my name is Blake Farley, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast.